So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Swart, and today, everyone, we have somebody who I'm really excited to talk with. Uh, she represents a brand that every single one of our clinicians owns a pair of shoes of, whereas in the clinic, um, we're very fond of this company. I think they do an incredible job, and they kind of speak a similar language to what we, uh, how we converse with, uh, with our patients as well in terms of how they practice and how they operate, why they design shoes and everything else. So uh, without further ado... I have a uh, Michelle Reed with us. She is a, her, her official title, if we're into those kind of things, is a field service rep or a tech rep for Ultra. All that means, guys, is that she is the shoe guru and she's here to tell us all things cool about um, Ultra and kind of like her journey with Ultra and running and why, uh, and, and for us to have the opportunity to kind of explain to you guys why we appreciate their brand so much and why we're so strong, why we're such strong advocates for our runners. So uh, without further ado, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So um, I've got to ask, uh, you're a field service uh, tech or a shoe guru uh, with, uh, with Ultra. What, um, what's kind of your background with running? Why did you, you kind of transition into this role with Ultra? You've been at it now for two years in the Atlanta area. What's that journey been like for you and how to get started? So I was always a runner um, as a kid. My dad had me running, you know, like 5Ks and one mile fun runs from seven, eight years old. Ran, you know, high school cross country and track and all of that. Um, didn't run, you know, collegiately or even just kind of on my own after that. The year I turned 30, though, I got back into running and quickly came to ultra running and loved that. Eventually got a job part time at a, at a run shop, just slinging shoes and realized that. Uh, I absolutely adored it. It's so much fun. You're helping people. You get to talk to runners all day. Yeah. And after several years, that kind of parlayed that into uh, moving over to the manufacturer side and working with Ultra, which has been a great time. Honestly, you get to talk to runners. You get to talk to other people who are selling shoes. You get to talk to medical providers and just talk to them about what it is that we're doing and why we're different and why we believe that, that we can really help a lot of people with our footwear that we're making. Oh man, I, you know, like one of our favorite or like one of our favorite populations to work with is, is easily working with runners, right? Uh, they're some of the most dedicated, um, people to their craft and that's in really all aspects of life. Like, uh, some of the most high performing professionals that I have the opportunity to work with are also very dedicated runners as well. Um, it's an awesome way to be able to offload stress or just manage stress. It's a better, it's an easy way to, um, kind of give back to yourself. You don't need a lot of equipment, you know, a good pair of shoes, of course, but, uh, you don't need a lot of equipment. You just need a good pair of shoes and, and a road or a sidewalk or hell, even just a treadmill and, uh, you're good to go. Right. So, um, 
it makes a lot of sense that, and you get to meet a lot of cool people along the way. So um, when you get to work with runners, what's some of your favorite things that you get to work with, or not necessarily that you get to work with, but what's some of your favorite aspects of working with the running population as it pertains to helping them with their shoe wear? I really like problem solving. And that's probably a lot of what you guys do in your practice is somebody comes into a run shop and they've got, you know, X, Y, or Z issue and they just can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times once you've been doing it for a while, even just in the shoe side, you, you can start to, I had a woman walk into the store one time with a brand new baby yeah. and it was easy to, to figure out what her problem was going to be just knowing she had recently been pregnant and all the hormonal changes that go along with that. And the ability to kind of pinpoint and and present some options and some solutions and send somebody out of the store or out of your demo run or wherever you are um, able to do the activity that they want to do again. And just really excited is, is a lot of fun and it's really uh, rewarding. Oh my gosh, for sure. Especially to be able to get somebody back to like, um, I think that's why we, one of the reasons why we like to operate the way we do. Uh, we have the, we have an awesome opportunity to get people not just like, man. It, yeah, of course it's fun to be able to rehab somebody from uh, a total knee replacement. Absolutely. Right. There's, there's pros and cons to that, but man, our passion is absolutely helping people who have like uh, calf pain when they run or hip pain when they squat or, and to be able to get them back into that activity that um, allows them to perform at a high level in all aspects of life. There's really uh, no greater feeling than that. So What's some of the, what's the process look like for that? I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've had a couple of shoe fittings myself, but they always seem to vary. So what, what does your process kind of look like when you have somebody coming in and, and they want to try on a new pair of shoes, or they think that, uh, you know, maybe they're, um, you know, they're, uh, the, so you can walk me through that process with that pregnant lady or that pregnant woman, even, um, like what was, what does their process typically look like for you? So when you're walking into a, especially like a run specialty shop, mm-hmm. um, these are really, be skilled and trained uh, people usually working in these shops. So you're going to walk in and they're, they're going to ask you what your goals are, what you're training for, how many miles a week are you running? Um, what kind of pain or injuries are you currently experiencing? Obviously they're not doctors, they're not physical therapists, but there's a lot of things they can kind of narrow down just based on what you're experiencing. Um, anything relevant, like that woman who had just had a baby, she's you know carrying the baby and she's having some pain and some issues, anything like that, anything you've done recently or, or trying to do in the future. And then a lot of times what they'll do is either have you barefoot or barefoot. And then later with shoes on, just watch you run or walk. So you guys probably do some really similar stuff, some gait analysis in your practice when you're, you're troubleshooting what's going on with somebody, but your, your run specialty fitter is going to do the same thing. They're going to watch you run and see if there's anything glaring. Um, if they see you overstriding or if they see like some severe overpronation, and then from there, between the conversation you've had with this person and then what they've seen as you're moving, they're going to be able to narrow it down pretty quickly to you know five or six pairs of shoes to have you try on. And then from there, we always say that you know I've narrowed down these shoes for you, but ultimately the shoe that's going to be the best for you is probably going to be the one that just feels the best on your foot. Yeah. So from there, it's about playing with them and running around and running on the treadmill in the store or out on the sidewalk or all those yeah. things we like to do, moving around, doing squats, all that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's always really interesting to me. I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that too, because, uh, man, the data shows more and more, especially there's this, there's this big study that was run by the military um, that will typically reference with people where it's essentially very similar language where 
um, you know, go work with somebody that can help give you a few pairs of shoes um, to try on. And that would be a better, the best like uh, route for you to go. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the shoe that feels the best for you. That is most likely going to be the best in terms of uh, reducing your risk of injury, improving your performance, all that stuff. As long as we maintain certain parameters, of course. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Do you wear a pair of ultras when you run? I would hope so. Right. Of course. Yeah. I, yeah. I was wearing ultras before I worked for ultra. So, <laughs> Oh, nice. What's your favorite pair of ultra shoes? Oh, Escalante. Oh, yeah. Those are good. Those are good. Yeah, um, that's what I, I have that... on right now. So <laughs> awesome. So is that, is that what you wear with you when you run your ultras? Uh, no, cause I'm usually doing trail races. Yep. Um, I have been a big fan of the temp through the years for ultras. Um, and also the Olympus, cause it has a little bit more stack height, just a little bit more cushion underfoot. Mm-hmm. So you get, and you know, 40 or 50 miles into something and your feet just hurt and you get that nice squishy monster under your feet. So you can't feel the rocks anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. What do your, what does your training process typically look like when you're running up for, or when you're training for an ultra? I'm a big fan of having an experienced ultra runner as a coach. Um, I'm not currently training for anything, so I don't have a coach at the moment, but I've used one in the past and they really helped me um, put the pieces together to get past the 50K distance I was struggling. Um, every time I signed up for a 50 miler, something would happen and I wouldn't finish. So I, I really am a big fan of having a coach. Most of us are busy. We've got kids, we've got jobs. You know, training for an ultra is not your full time job. And planning out that training cycle can take, you know, a lot. So I'm a big fan of bringing in the professionals and and telling you what to do and when. Oh my gosh, for sure. So then, um, what's the longest distance you've ran now? A hundred K. So within months of of working with a coach, I moved up from, from DNFing everything over 40 miles to finishing a hundred K. So that's awesome. So when you're running or when you're training for a hundred K, What's the most mileage that your volume will get up to in a situation like that? Um, 30 or 40 miles. Okay. Like one day, or are you talking about like weekly training? One day. Let's go one day. Let's go weekly. Um, 50 miles is about all I would ever have time for in a week. I'm not very fast. I'm very back of the pack kind of runner. So, you know, 50 miles, especially if you're talking about mountain or trail running it, that takes a long time for sure. To, to- yeah. So I know like, you see these people running hundred mile weeks and they're a lot faster than I am. So, yeah, <laughs> I'd be right there with you, man. Like the longs. So I'm definitely more, um, I grew up as a, as like a sprinter, right. Um, definitely, um, the longest distance I would run growing up, I was like a 400 meter dash, right. <laughs> like, uh, not that long, but, uh, so the longest that I've ever ran, um, from a racing standpoint has been a, a half or a half marathon. Um, but I love that distance. It's a, it's probably the most I'll, I'll, I really don't have any desire to do a full marathon. I think if I was going to do anything, I would jump over to the trail side of things and probably go like the, like the ultra route. Right. Um, I think it's yeah. just more, I think it'd be way more fun to do that, uh, to go that route. And I, there's actually a lot of people, I wouldn't have even thought of doing this if it wasn't for my patients where, uh, there's been quite a few people that I've talked to like, Oh yeah, I've never ran more than 10 K before I did. I never ran more than 10 K before I started running like ultra marathons. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Uh, but it's because of that, like they typically feel better running off road than they do on road. Do you have a similar, do you think that too? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said for trail running, even if it's just as like a training accompaniment to your road running. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 
surface. It's a varied terrain, so it's going to work different muscles. You get a lot more climbing and descent and just a lot of variability there that you're not going to see on the road or on your treadmill in the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when you're, so do you feel like your shoes get a little bit more beat up when you do trail running versus road running? Or is it pretty equal in terms of like wear and tear that you'll get? Um, usually the trail shoes are a little bit burlier. They're going to mm-hmm. withstand bit more um obviously you know you always see these people that have like just completely slashed their shoes up on rocks and that does happen i've definitely always would recommend using a trail shoe on the trails a road shoe on the roads because that that wear and tear is going to be more um but the impact isn't going to be as much as far as like the midsole of the shoe wearing out because you aren't just pounding on asphalt yeah but yeah, I've definitely seen some people just tear up some shoes depending on the terrain. <laughs> I bet. I bet, man. Like, so when you're, when, uh, so I guess that's a, that's an important question to ask. What are some of the common points of wear and tear that you see in shoes or like that somebody should look into or like when they're, when they're like, man, do I need a new pair of shoes? Like, is, is my, um, hip pain coming because my shoes are old? Like what, what are some, what are some signs that people should look for there? So the part of the shoe that's going to wear out the first is the midsole. So a lot of times people will come in and they'll, you know, they run on the treadmill at the gym. So the outsole, the tread, the bottom of the shoe and the top of the shoe look great because mm-hmm. they never wear them out. But when you're looking at that foam, that's what's between you and the ground. That's what's, you know, providing that impact protection. It will start to get wrinkled up or feel a little bit flat or look a little bit more just kind of worn out. That's what's protecting your joints from all that impact and all that pounding when we're running. So you want to watch out for that midsole wearing out. Um, It's so subtle. It's so slow that you don't notice it. But if you go to the store and put on a brand new pair of the same shoes that you have on, you'll notice it immediately. And that's where you're Mm -hmm. starting to feel a lot of those like aches and pains, not really an injury, but something doesn't feel quite right. You're just feeling that impact more. So that's what I always tell you. I don't care if the top of your shoe looks great, if it's clean and new, if the midsole is all wrinkled up, your shoes worn out. And you're usually going to get about three to 500 miles before you're going to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Is it, are shoes, are shoes designed to kind of last that long on purpose? Like, was, is there a benefit to them wearing out? Uh, not necessarily that fast, but that in that mile range or, um, look, or is like, what does that kind of look like? So I would assume like, if you're going to have shoes that try to last any much longer than that, you're going to have to get in some materials that are pretty, um, robust and heavy, right. Which obviously has its, yeah. which has its drawbacks with running as well. Right. So that's pretty much the industry standard across like your training shoes is three to 500 miles. And like you said, anything that's going to last longer than that is going to be very dense. It's going to be very heavy. It's not going to have that nice springy feeling that most people want from their shoes. Mm-hmm. So, um, people definitely wear their shoes a lot longer than that. I yeah. don't necessarily recommend it. I'm sure that you don't either. But. Yeah, for sure. Or is there anything that would expedite that, that, uh, process, uh, in terms of the wear and tear on the shoes? Um, yeah, anything that's going to put more impact on the shoe, definitely. So if you're just always running on asphalt versus a treadmill, treadmill's got a little bit of shock absorption to it, a little bit of, mm. you know, depending on the treadmill, um, obviously trail running is a little bit less impact on the shoe. So it's going to last a little bit longer. Also things like uh, exposing them to a lot of temperature change or always storing them in your garage or letting them sit in your car and get hot and cold back and forth. Probably the worst thing you can do for the lifespan of your shoe though, is put it in your washer and dryer. Oh man. Okay. What are some washing and drying techniques that you've got for people then? Uh, I would or just some say cleaning techniques, I should say. Yeah. I mean, just let them be dirty. You earned that, that dirt all over your shoes, mm. right? That's but, fair. Um, if- <laughs> 
That's if fair. you have to clean them, rinse them, brush them off and uh, leave them somewhere, not too hot, not too sunny and let them dry naturally. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I like that. You earned that dirt. Keep it there. Um, yeah. yeah. So then, okay. So three to 500 miles is a typical range for a shoe to last. What would be, um, is that the same with trail running as well? Is that three to 500 mile range? Is that what we're looking at there? Yes. I typically find that I'm going to get closer to that 500 on my trail shoes and maybe mm-hmm. three fifty or four on my road shoes though. Okay. Gotcha. And then, uh, so a lot of the runners that we work with, they, um, a lot of times when, when they come in to work with us, uh, they've got their running pretty dialed in. They're either working with a coach or, you know, we need to make like mild technique changes, uh, with their, with their stride every now and then you'll get somebody to come and it's like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> we need to fix everything. Uh, but that's typically not the case. Um, but a lot of times what we work on with people is developing a good, like strengthening protocol for them. Uh, that, that's going to kind of help complement their running uh, style. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And there's a lot of different ways you can gear that towards the specific athlete that's sitting there in front of you. Right. Um, when training in a strength capacity like that, uh, we will typically have our runners take their shoes off. They'll typically come into our clinic with their shoes on, um, but we, we'll have them take them off because we want your feet to be strong, right? Uh, we want you to have a natural, like, uh, be able to have like some good toe mobility. We want you to be able to have like good proprioception or good sensation down in your foot as well. Um, and I know ultra has a pretty high focus on being able to let your foot do what it does. Like, I know that's a big difference from what for, that separates ultra from other running shoes. Uh, can you kind of go into what some of those details are and what really separates ultra from, uh, some of the other running shoes that are out there. So, yeah, like you said, we want your foot to do what it's meant to do. Um, that's what I, I tell people all day is that our shoes are going to allow that foot to move in the way that it's supposed to move. It's not going to impede it in any way. And that is going to get you that proprioception, that more stability, especially when you're, you're lifting, but running as well. There's two things we do differently than pretty much every other running shoe on the market. Mm-hmm. One is what foot shaped toe box. So a lot of times people will put on an ultra and look down at it and they think it looks weird or different yeah. than what they do. Uh, most shoes come to uh, roughly a point at the end of the toes. Ultras don't, they have room for those toes to splay out naturally. And like you said, same as when you're barefoot gives you that great surface area to really get your balance, get your stability, allow that big toe to lock into that nice straight position and function the way it's meant to allow the foot and the knees to absorb that impact and just allow that foot to function the way that it would, if you were walking around barefoot, the way human feet are really meant to, to work, right. You know, we're not meant to walk around in shoes, even though we all have, since we were, you know, roughly a year old. Yeah. The other thing we do a little bit differently is what we call balance cushion. Uh, Same thing as zero drop. People have heard that term. It just means that the heel and the toe sit the same distance off the ground instead of having that heel uh, elevated, like a lot of running shoes do really pretty much every other running shoe on the market is doing that. Um, Again, we want you to be stable. We want you to be in a natural posture. We want you to walk around the same as if you were walking barefoot. So when you have those heels elevated, even though in most shoes, it's like eight to 12 millimeters, it sounds like it's almost nothing, but that does affect the kinetic chain. It affects your knees, hips, and lower back and your posture. And we want you in a more natural posture, landing at a higher efficient gait, and just moving the way your body's meant to move to help prevent that injury and keep you moving healthy and happy for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
I agree. I think eight to 12 sounds like a small number uh, until you get into a zero drop heel, uh, zero drop, zero drop shoe. And you're like, oh, totally feel the difference here. Right. <laughs> you can yeah. it's easy to feel. Um, what is it about that? Like, why is that elevated, uh, heels, um, height ratio even there? Like what is, what was that there for to begin with? So, um, big reason that you see that in running shoes is mm-hmm. Bill Bauer, one of the founders of Nike. Um, and not to like, you know, talk badly about another brand, but back in the sixties, when he was coaching track at the university of Oregon, he believed that to get his runners moving faster, he wanted them to take fewer steps. So longer strides, longer steps. So they were naturally uh, heel striking very hard as they're taking these giant steps on the track. And the tracks were cinders, right? They didn't have this rubber surface that we run on now. So their heels hurt. So as they started getting into developing shoes, uh, they started putting padding under the heels, right? Mm. To put those heels um, because his runners were complaining because they were in pain. <laughs> uh, we, we know now when you're talking about running, we want to see smaller steps. We want to see quick, you know, turnover, not these giant leaps that he was teaching his runners to take, but that's stuck in the running shoes, that heel elevation. And a lot of the, a lot of modern shoes have a lot of technology packed into that. There's plates and there's gels and there's different things. Um, and our founders, when they were first experimenting with these shoes, actually were taking the, the normal running shoes, the, the regular running shoes that they were selling in their shop, taking them in the back of the shop and heating them up in a toaster oven at 275 degrees Fahrenheit until the glue melted. And then they would just shave that down and glue it together and started sending people out. They were just taking that excess um, elevation off of the heels. And they were finding that people were running more efficiently and their pain was just disappearing. Man, wild. It, and it's so funny how in the health and fitness space, certain things just stick and it's like they just never go away, no matter how bad the, the, the protocol or the principle or the thought process is, right? Like, man, I think PTs have spoken, like any, any PT that's any good, like I feel pretty confident saying that, like um, if they're still like not letting your knees go past your toes um, when, in a squat position or anything, like that's such an antiquated thing that came from some study in the eighties that's since been debunked and, and redacted. And, uh, but it's just, it's such a part of gym culture that it's really tough to break that mold with a lot of people. It's really frustrating. And I bet, and I, so I share that frustration with the, with the founders and, and all the reps with ultra be like, no, there's no reason for it. It just came from some arbitrary thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the real start to it in those racing shoes. And, and now you just see it's so prevalent throughout the culture, like you said, and people just get stuck in, into what they believe is the way that something should be. And we've always been a very disruptive brand starting from, you know, heating shoes up in a toaster oven to see what else could be out there. So that's awesome. So then why the wide toe box, or I, I guess I should say like, do you know why shoes have gone to a narrow toe box? Um, so shoes in general tend to come to a point, not just athletic shoes. Right. Right. A lot of that comes from uh, when people are riding horses, you want to be able to slip your foot into that stirrup. Right. So the, t- the shoe is pointed to allow that foot to just slide right in there. Um, and that just kind of stuck in fashion shoes and in just footwear in general, especially as it began to be more mass produced rather than just you go to a cobbler and they trace your foot and they make you a shoe. So that's pretty much where that started. And it's been prevalent in shoes for you know hundreds of years at this point. So mm-hmm. it seems like such a simple thing that the shoe should be shaped like your foot, not manipulate your foot to be shaped like the shoe. Yeah. Here we are. So. It's crazy. 
It's wild. And you know, it's, it's weird. Cause you're right. It does look kind of funky. Right. And, and I think that's just, yeah. that's just like societal norms at the end of the day. Um, which is fine. Like the, it's, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, when it's, it's weird. Like when you get in a wide toe box, it's like your foot almost feels like it has too much room in the shoe <laughs> um, yeah. until you get used to it. Right. And then once you're yeah. used to it, you try to go back into a regular shoe. Like, no, why would I wear this? Yeah, absolutely. We tell people all the time, if it doesn't feel too big, it's probably too small. Yeah. If toes aren't like kind of freaking out in there, not sure what to do with all that space, the shoe's probably too small, but so many people are used to that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I just make people like, just try, just go walk in it, just go run in it. And all of a sudden they start moving and those toes splay and take up all that space when they have it. And they're like, oh, this is what a shoe that fits feels like. And it's mm-hmm. just see like the light bulb moment in people's eyes. It's really, really fun. Oh, super cool. And then like, um, you know, when, oh man, what was I going to say? I had something that I wanted to say about that. Um, the wide toe box, uh, the narrow. Oh yeah. So, uh, when I would, I remember when, so all, you know, growing up, I would go to, you know, with track and everything else I would go and, uh, get fitted for some shoes and, um, I had no idea what ultras even were. A lot of times it was like Brooks or Asics or, you know, Nikes or whatever. It doesn't matter the brand. All shoes are, are kind of similar in certain, in most aspects, but, um, other than ultra, of course, um, which is why we like them so much, but, um, they, I would always blow out the edges of my shoes, you know? Um, because mm-hmm. like, not only would, uh, I was, you know, probably like your, your typical high school student who, you know, I had like my sh- pair of shoes, regardless if I was training or running or, or cross training or, you know, a lot of lateral work, like wore the same shoes for a lot of different things. Um, and I would always blow out the edges always. And, uh, what's, what's really opening for me is I'll have similar, I'll have wear and tear on my shoes with ultras for sure. Like they're going to wear and tear just like any shoe would, but the edges like were in particular, like my lateral or my outside edge where my pinky toe is, um, that doesn't get blown out. Like it doesn't all my, like it did on literally, you could look at any shoe of mine from, from growing up and, you know, be like, Oh, these were Jacob's shoes versus like his brothers <laughs> or his sisters, you know, like, um, cause the, there would be a hole where the pinky toe was, <laughs> um, and it just doesn't yeah. happen in these shoes. And I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure you see that all the time with people coming in. Yeah. That's definitely something that you see in, in most running shoes is either the pinky toes just escaped out the side of the shoe or it's separated. The upper has separated from the midsole of the shoe from, like you said, that lateral movement, which I mean, running shoes aren't, you know, specifically designed for lateral movements. So that can, but that's just not something we really see as often in our shoes because the space is there for your spread and that pinky toe doesn't have to just bust out the side of the shoe over time. Yeah. It's awesome. I think that right there is just such a clear visual visualization for, for my own personal experiences to be like, oh, okay, there's clearly something here. Right. Um, what about like, all right. So what, uh, is there any other cool tech that's in those shoes? Um, other than the zero heel drop and the wide toe box? Uh, we have lots of cool tech in different models. Um, that's what you're going to see across the whole line. Those two specific things. The other fun thing, and I know that nobody else can see this, but you, but when you look at the bottom of our shoes, uh, yeah. they look like a skeleton or like a footprint. And again, so that's meant to move with your foot. So the shoe is coupled and just kind of cut and split in the same places that uh, the joints in your midfoot are. So that shoe is going to bend with the foot and work with it instead of working against it. Oh, very cool. And then um, I was just about to pull up your website, but um, I'll ask you just um, to expedite the process. And uh, so 
if we're, for women's shoes and, and the ultra shoe line, I, I, I think I saw something back when I was looking for shoes for my wife. Like there's like a, like a, her like trademarked, um, um, piece of technology in women's shoes. Like, is, is there a difference in women's footwear that's needed compared to men's footwear or, or can you kind of elaborate on that for me? Yeah. So we call that fit for her. And all that means is that the last, which is just the mold that shoes are made on, we have women's specific last. So for most, um, footwear brands. And really this is across kind of the outdoor industry in general. They do what we call shrink it and pink it. They take a men's product, whether that's a jacket or a running shoe, and they shrink it down and they just turn it women's colors and they market it as a women's product. So a lot of times when you're going to the store and you're buying a women's be with, which is the standard women's width shoe, it's a men's shoe. It's just been shrunk and narrowed. Mm. Um, women are typically shaped a little bit differently though. The biggest differences are the length of our arch. Women tend to have longer arches. So the, the flex points on the shoes are going to be a little bit different. We tend to have a higher instep, which is basically like the volume in the midfoot there. So there's a little more space there as well. And then the real big one that gets a lot of women is women's feet tend to narrow more sharply toward the heel. So if you think about men's feet are kind of shaped like two by fours, women's feet are shaped like pizza slices where they're a more stark difference. Mm-hmm. In the so if you just take a narrowed down men's shoe, a lot of times women's feet will still slip out of the heel. So our shoes accommodate for those differences. And I don't see when I'm, you know, helping people with shoes, I don't see that with our women's shoes. Typically women's heels are not slipping out because our shoes are made to fit their feet. More and more and more. So like, you know, I've been, I've been in the medical field for a while now and it's so frustrating to me. Uh, I remember being in PT school when I first found this out where, um, like studies and any study, any study in the health, in the healthcare space wasn't ever really done on women. Like I'm talking medications. I'm talking like things that you would anticipate women to be a part of, you know, now has that practice changed as of late? Yes. But not that long ago, uh, were women essentially like excluded from research studies because of different, like, you know, hormonal cycles throughout the month that made like consistency within, uh, studies very hard. So they just assumed that women are just like men. Um, and so that's super frustrating. And, you know, you know, obviously it carries over to the sport world too, outside of healthcare where, um, <laughs> I love the shrink it and pink it. I've never heard of that, but it makes total sense. And yeah, just make a smaller shoe and, um, make it pink and call it a women's brand. I think, um, so I think that's a really, um, and powerful and important thing that uh, our listeners should, should pay attention to is like, um, when you, when you're working with a shoe brand, not to get like too heavy, cause at the end of the day, it is a shoe, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, when, when you're working with these different brands, like, I think it's important to pay attention to, uh, or ex- at least be able to have explanations of why certain brandings are put on there. And so when I saw that, uh, fit for her, like my immediate mind was like, oh, okay, so it's a marketing thing for, for women. Right. But to be able to hear like, oh no, we actually have a different ladle. We act or ladle, ladle, ladle. Last. Last. Oh, okay. It's ladle. just a, like a plastic mold that is roughly shaped like a foot and the shoes are built around them. Okay, cool. So a last that's like, that's like uh, for women's feet, right? Like you're looking at yeah. just another example of how ultra is looking at the anatomical uh, significance and importance of the foot versus trying to make a cool shoe that, uh, that your foot has to try to mold into, right? Like it just doesn't make sense to do that. We don't ask, we don't ask our bodies or we don't ask our like bodies to do that for just about anything else other than our shoe wear and our shoe wears it's, it hits the ground hundreds hundreds of thousands of times a day. So, uh, making sure that we have good footwear is super important, especially if you're a runner. Uh, so Michelle, we've talked about 
why you run, uh, what you should look for, uh, and a shoe breakdown. Uh, we've looked at like the difference, the differences and the technology of the shoe and, and where some of these like antiquated concepts of the typical shoe wear kind of come from. Is there anything else that you think that, uh, that you'd like to, that you think would be important for our listeners to know, or that, uh, that you'd think like ultra should, um, be screaming from the rooftops essentially. I think, uh, me and my coworkers feel like we do scream it from the rooftops that like, this is a shoe that's, that's made for your foot, not the other way around. We, we just want you to be comfortable. We want to help prevent injury. We want you to move and we want you to be running, hiking, walking for, for a really long time, as long as that, that activity is serving you. Um, so that's what we're about. We're just about, you know, healthy footwear, natural footwear and helping you, you move the way that you're meant to move. And I think that when people start to really look into it, there's just not a lot of brands in that space. And so it's really, really fun to be kind of on the leading edge of something different in the marketplace. Love it. Love it. And I, we couldn't agree more. Like I've said a couple of times now, all of our, all of our providers, we all have ultras that we like to wear. Um, couldn't speak of them highly enough. We recommend to most of our patients for, for the very reasons that you kind of talk about. So, uh, Michelle, if somebody wanted to, um, learn more about ultra or potentially like figure out where they can find these shoes. Uh, what would be some good resources for them? Um, definitely our website, ultrarunning.com. You can um, look at all the different shoes, but I'm always going to recommend you, you go in there and look at our, our retailers near you. The retailers that are selling these shoes are really, really highly knowledgeable professionals. They can definitely help you get into the right shoe for you because even, you know, in our, our line, we have a lot of different shoes for a lot of different purposes. So definitely go talk to your local run shop and, and see what they can do for you. Awesome. Michelle, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Really appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.